Welcome back to the Power Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you Kate Davis. Kate is an RD, a registered dietitian in the US, and she is the sports dietitian who works with the US men's and women's goalball teams. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. Thank you so much, Liz. It's an honor to be on your show. Uh, well, I'm glad we finally pinned this down. It's been a bit of an effort, but we got there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> agreed. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about your background and how you got into working with Goldball? Sure. So as you mentioned, I did receive my training in the United States. So I got a dietetics degree undergrad and completed an internship. And then I eventually got my master's degree as well. And that degree is in nutrition with an emphasis in exercise physiology. Mm -hmm. And so from there, I continued working as a registered dietitian. I did some training at a place called IMG Academy, which is located in Florida in the US. And then I also did some special training opportunities through the USOPC, the United States Olympic Paralympic Committee Training Center in Colorado Springs. So I've worked in private practice for 12 years this summer, mm-hmm. kind of hard to believe. <laughs> and through that time, just, you know, worked with a variety of athletes and teams, anywhere from, you know, very young, eight years old on up, but mainly focusing on a, a lot of high school, a lot of college athletes, recreational athletes, and and then, you know, of course, the work with Team USA. So the the way that I actually got into working with Goalball is um, just happened to see a, a job posting on a listserv for a group that I'm in and uh, was pretty intrigued by it. It was pretty close to home and they wanted somebody that could drive. And that's when I reached out to you, as, a, as it were, at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were gracious enough to kind of fill me in on goalball. It was, it, to be quite frank, it was, I had never heard of goalball before and <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. And now I, I chuckle because one of the athletes on the men's team likes to say goalball is the greatest sport that you've never heard of, <laughs> um, which I think is pretty accurate. It's mm-hmm. a pretty fantastic sport, but you know, you were so gracious and you, you brought me right in and, and filled me in and, you didn't really know, but you took a chance on me. And, and that's really how I how I got into the job, just as working as a consultant and, and taking over in a, a more labor intensive and a more present way than than had been possible previously with the team. So was able to start really working with the team on a monthly basis. And that's something they hadn't had before because of my proximity to the, the training yeah. center. Because you can actually go down and, and visit them during training camps at times, can't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes. It's it's a pretty quick drive for me to get there. So it's it's an easy thing for me to see them regularly. Mm. And how many years ago was that now? So I started with them in 2018. So it's oh. almost been five, five what is that? Five years? Yeah. Six years? So it's yeah, it's been a bit of time, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have that longevity. So in episode five, we talked to Jake and Lisa Tchaikovsky about what goalball is. So for anyone who hasn't listened to that podcast and wants the lowdown on this amazing sport that nobody's ever heard of, please go to episode five. (laughs) But from your perspective, what are the nutritional demands of goalball? Well, just in brief, 
you know, if, if for those who don't know what goalball is, it's a very high intensity sport, lots of high intensity training. The game itself is high intensity. And so these athletes are burning anywhere from 800 to 1600 calories per training session. And they're mainly using that anaerobic system. And so, you know, they're not doing steady state. They're not, they're not doing distance type cardio. It's, it's very unique, very quick. And so, in addition to that, the athletes are actually fully padded. So again, the the, the ball gets thrown back and forth, back and forth. They they block the ball with their body, so they're heavily padded. They have long clothing on, you know, long sleeves and long pants. And so, so hydration, you know, is definitely a concern. Hydration is something that we definitely talk about. The high calorie burn is something that we talk about. Often the gyms that they're competing in don't have air conditioning. So it's not unusual for them to be playing in very hot, very humid environments. And so those I'd say are two of the big things that, you know, we're, we're kind of checking on that I'm monitoring and, and checking in with them. In addition to that, I would say like probably most Team USA teams, their training schedule is pretty grueling at times. And Mm -hmm. so there's just the conversations of, you know, are we eating enough calories? Are we feeling going into the training well enough? Are we refueling coming out of training? What sorts of training sessions should we be fueling during? What does that look like? How can we try it? And a lot of these athletes are coming in, um, sometimes not having much of a goalball longevity background. It's it's very different from other athlete teams that you might expect. Mm-hmm. So they don't have a ton of experience in terms of the number of years they've been playing. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them anyway, they can be very young and they definitely don't have any experience with thinking about their fueling and hydration. So those are some of the kind of the big nutrition issues, big picture things when it comes to working with them. Mm. And so was that something that surprised you when you first sort of heard about goalball and then you went and saw them actually in action during training? Was that level of energy expenditure something that you were taken a bit by surprise? Uh, yes. Definitely. Yeah. I I did not expect that at all. And I, I will be honest, I went on YouTube and I found games and was, you know, just watching and trying to just take it in that way. But I I think I I definitely didn't grasp that prior Mm -hmm. to, to being there, seeing it in action, you know, really seeing their peril right up close and realizing how covered they are and how that even makes everything uh, much more difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And is this the first time you'd worked with athletes with a vision impairment? It was, or it it is. Yes, it was. Mm. So, yeah, so that was definitely a learning curve for me. And, and again, Liz, you were so gracious and kind of tried to give me a heads up. You know, these are some things to keep in mind or some things to think about or be aware of, but you know, there's nothing like just being, just being thrown into the fire, right. And just kind (laughs) of figuring (laughs) as we usually are as sports dietitians, right. So you can, you can only learn so much in advance. Sometimes you got to learn on the job, but you know, I think one of the biggest things with working with athletes with vision impairments is you just can't, you can't, as a dietitian, you can't give a simple directive without getting some type of context first Mm -hmm. from the athlete. And I think there's a lot of things we just, we take for granted when working with athletes who don't have a visual impairment and you, you can't, 
you can't do that with athletes with a visual impairment. There's, there's a lot of other steps you have to take to get to, you know, a directive or to, to get to the point where they're understanding a directive sometimes. So can you give us an example of that? Yeah. So, so one thing to understand is that I didn't realize going in is for goalball, there's, there's ranges in terms of visual acuity, right? So, mm-hmm. so it ranges from athlete to athlete. So some athletes actually have a, a pretty good amount of vision and some athletes are, you know, 100% legally blind. And mm-hmm. so I had to learn very quickly that I couldn't be shy about asking them, well, can, can you tell me about your, you know, your vision? What can you mm-hmm. see? What can you not? How well can you see things? So some athletes could see nutrition labels with different equipment that they could use, you know, magnifying glasses on, on their phones and that sort of thing. Some athletes that wasn't even an option, you know, so, so just, you know, something as simple as that. And then going along with the range of visual acuity, some athletes are very comfortable in the kitchen. They've worked in it before. They have no problem, you know, chopping things and using a a stove or using Mm -hmm. a grill. But those who have very little to no visual acuity maybe have never done it before because they've Mm -hmm. always had somebody do it for them. Or maybe they've been very nervous about that because, you know, who wants to chop a finger off or who (laughs) wants to burn themselves, you know? So, so they, so they purposefully avoid that. And so they'll spend more money to get, for example, uh, vegetables that are already chopped for them, right? Mm-hmm. Or they'll they'll spend uh, more time and be less efficient because they're trying to figure out, well, how do I avoid using this equipment or that equipment? And those are things that I couldn't possibly know unless I just ask them, you know, yeah. what what are your concerns in the kitchen? What what are you able to do? What's your experience with shopping? How do you go about shopping? Do you need assistance? Do you order food and have it delivered? You know, how do how do you go about that? And I think even now I have to do do a check on myself and make sure I don't just make assumptions about how they're doing things. Cause it's just so it's just so easy to do when you're not constantly working with athletes with a vision impairment to just make assumptions about how easy it must be to do things when really you could be giving a simple directive like, Hey, uh, I need you to go to the store today and let's talk about the things you're going to get. And they could be thinking, well, I can't drive, you know, Mm -hmm. the bus isn't going at a time that's right for me. Uh, Once I get to the store, I can't really see my way around. I need assistance. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's taking a step back and saying, okay, well, hold on. How are you going to make this happen? Is this possible for you to do this? And when? And I guess that also plays into the hydration side of things. You said that, you know, they wear all this extra gear and they're often in quite warm gyms, so their hydration is an issue. But obviously using that visual check that mostly we talk to Mm -hmm. athletes about, you know, check the colour of your urine, Mm -hmm. they're not able to do that with the same Mm -hmm. degree of acuity. So how have you approached, you know, them being able to assess their own hydration levels? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, because that was an interesting conundrum coming in, right? Oh, mm-hmm. so I, I guess that's not going to work. And I, I even kind of made jokes with them about it, just, you know, just to lighten the mood, like, well, I guess, you know, we're not going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But as maybe too much of an overshare as it sounds, you know, saturated pee is generally pretty stinky. And so, yep. so sometimes we talk about the smell of it, you know, if, if you can, sm- sometimes you can smell that it's more saturated. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that we'll talk about. But really, you know, instead of focusing as much on that, although I will mention that, we talk a lot about 
what are the symptoms that you have? What are the symptoms mm-hmm. that you, your body tells you when you are, when you're dehydrated, when you're dealing with that. And what I found is athletes with a visual impairment, their other senses are often very heightened. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes their assessment of themselves is, is more heightened because, because they have to kind of compensate for that. And so sometimes they're actually more attuned to the things that their body is telling them and more attuned to the symptoms they're having of dehydration than mm-hmm. some of my athletes who don't have a visual impairment. So that's been really helpful is just to talk through, okay, these are the types of things that you're going to feel, but then let's have a conversation about the last time you know that you got dehydrated. What did that feel like? What did your body tell you? Now, when I'm on site, I do um, urine-specific gravity checks on them. And mm-hmm. so that is a helpful teaching tool, but obviously I'm not on site all the time. And so, you know, they can't, they can't rely on that exclusively. So that's something we've done. The other, the other thing in the, in the world of hydration is for a time I was doing some um, way in and way outs and kind of trying to get a sense of sweat rate and helping them understand, you know, this is how much weight you lost. Let's talk about what that means so that you can understand if this is how much you drank and you lost this much, we need to adjust what you're doing during practice. And I think that was really helpful because because instead of just saying, well, you know, you need to drink fluids during practice, they mm-hmm. were given more of a directive for how much. So at least they could go into practice with a water bottle of which they knew the volume and of which they knew how much they needed to drink during practice. So they knew if at least they did that, then they were probably in in the right, you know, realm of where they needed to be. Yeah. 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 So taking a multifaceted approach to how you get them to understand their own needs and and what their own symptoms are. Yes, definitely. Awesome. And what about the way that you communicate with them? I guess normally we do kind of presentations where we might show something. So have you had to Mm -hmm. adapt the way that you communicate with them? So I mentioned that there's ranges of visual acuity on the team. And so some of the athletes actually can, if I'm, if I'm doing, let's say a virtual talk and I have slides, quite a few of them can see those slides or aspects of the slides. So I still will have the visual component, but what I also will do is if it's, let's say a handout or even the slides, I'll actually send them as a PDF because the ones that can't let's say on a screen and in that form, see it, they'll be able to really blow it up in a PDF format. And so that that is really helpful to them. And then the ones who can't use it in the moment, they use PDF readers on their devices. And so they can then access the information that way. So it's kind of multifaceted. um, But even, you know, when I'm presenting, just having a sense and being aware of okay, not everybody can see this slide, right? Mm -hmm. Again, we just assume, well, everybody's looking at the slide. I don't have to be really specific about what, you know, the writing is on, that's on it or whatever the case, but I have to make sure that I'm explaining well enough, knowing that in the moment anyway, some of them can't see the slide at all and they they Mm -hmm. have no idea what's up there. So even remembering to explain, there's a visual on this slide and this is what it's showing, this is what it's explaining, those sorts of things. I I think, like I said, even, even now I have to remind myself to do those things because I'm not working with them every single day. Yeah. And what other support tools have you found useful? Like in the kitchen, for example, are there any specific extra tools that you have found that they like to have? 
You know, one thing that's been surprising to me actually is is how well they can adapt you know, with just regular kitchen utensils and kitchen equipment. Um, a lot of times they'll take, they're like little foam circles, I guess I would say, and little stickers, and they'll put them, like, let's say you have like an oven uh, control panel, and they'll put these stickers in certain spots to kind of tell them where they're at on the panel, and then they know which buttons they're pushing, or the same thing for, let's say, a microwave control panel, because these panels are totally flat, right? But they'll put these foam uh, pieces, yeah. so they kind of mm -hmm. know where they are, where they are on it. So that was pleasantly surprising to me that they mm. they're pretty adept with that. And the same thing, you know, if you think about um, slow cookers or ninja foodies or blenders or or things like that, they do those sorts of things. I will say certain blenders make me super nervous because <laughs> um, <laughs> there's blenders that have just massive blades in them, like the, mm. you know the really high level ones. And I'm always I'm always worried when we're doing cooking together in the kitchen that somebody's just going to reach their hand in and we're going to have a problem. Now, so on that note, I have talked to them about, you know, there's there's certain like gloves you can wear that are kind of cutting gloves, right? So if you, if the blade slips and it hits the glove, you're not going to get gonna cut. cut yourself. Yep. Exactly. There's like knife blade covers. So it's almost like a cover that goes between their hand and the knife um, as they're cutting, if that kind of makes sense to protect their fingers. Also, we've used digital talking thermometers, which is really helpful to give them more comfort with cooking meats. Uh, mm -hmm. Because that's one thing with meat and even more with seafood is they they're really not comfortable cooking it because they just, they don't know when it's done. They don't really have a sense of it. They can't see it. They, they don't really want to feel it or they don't, they don't even know what they're feeling for. Right. Mm, so yep. the digital talking thermometer is nice. So talking to them about, okay, if you're grilling, take the piece of meat, you know, put it onto a plate, stick the thermometer in there and kind of walking them through those things. Mm. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things I think that helps overcome their fears. The other thing is just, you know, really talking about basic knife handling skills and having good knives in the kitchen, you know, like what we might talk to any athlete, right? The, so the sharper the knife, actually the safer it is teaching them kind of, I'll even, you know, ask, you know, can I, can I show you, can I put my hands on yours and kind of guide your hand to kind of show you the right way to chop and, and the right way to slice and that sort of thing. And that I think has been really helpful. So I think some of it is, yeah, there's, there's definitely things that are uh, more adapted to um, having a visual impairment, but I think a lot of it is they, they just don't, they, they need more of that exposure, just how to use the things that are there and how to navigate them and work around them. Mm. And the importance of that is because at their training location, they actually, if they're staying there for an extended period of time, they stay in housing where they have their own kitchen and they're expected to, to cater for themselves. But most of the athletes That's... are also older and have their own families and, and so they're living in you know, their own home environment as well. And so they're having to constantly sort of swap between different mm -hmm. environments, but they are very independent. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I mentioned that there's a range of vision on the team. Another really unique thing about goalball is there's a really wide range of ages on the mm -hmm. team. So, you know, right now I have an athlete who I believe is 
19, I want to mm-hmm. say 20, like very young. Yeah. And then one of our oldest athletes is, you know, 40s, mid 40s, mm-hmm. and everything in between, right? So like you mentioned, we have athletes at all different life stages, athletes with all different goals outside of goalball, right? Some are in college, some are just graduated from college, starting their career, some are well into their career, some are married, some are not, some have kids, some don't. Mm-hmm. So it, even that alone, you know, I, that was something I wasn't used to, you know, with working with a team. Normally it's a college team where they're all, you know, 18 to 21 and you're pretty (laughs) sure of where they're at in their life stage. You know what I mean? And so, so that's definitely another piece of the equation too. And along with that, because of the difference in ages and life stages and potentially income as well. And because of the differences in vision, you also have different approaches as a default, right? So you have some that when they go home, they do have people shopping Mm. for them and cooking for them, and they're not necessarily doing anything. You have others that do live 100% on their own, and they need to know how how to do these things. You have some that do a meal delivery service because that's just easier for them. You have others who couldn't afford that. And so, you know, so, so it's, it's kind of just taking athlete by athlete and saying, where are we at? What can we work with and figuring it out for them? Yeah. Now these guys travel to compete and they often travel to some unusual countries, let's just say, but you don't travel with them mostly. So what sort of things have you put in place for when they travel that make sure that their nutrition needs are still being met? Yeah. So this is an area I'd say that's still developing within goalball. That's kind of kind of an area we're still trying to make improvements on and find a good fit for. But you're right. I don't travel with the team currently. Some of the things that I've done for them, we spend a lot, a lot of time talking in advance of their travel, especially the the bigger games, the the more important qualifiers and things like that. We spent a lot of time talking about just the plan for traveling. And I don't, I don't know that I'd say that's much different from an athlete who doesn't have a visual impairment, except maybe just emphasizing the importance of, you know, it might be easier for you to, you know, bring certain things versus trying to in an airport that you may not be familiar with, try to navigate and finding a place to get a snack or finding a place to get a, a light meal or something like that. So those are the conversations we'll have. We talk a lot about time changes and, and things like that, as you might with with any athlete as well. But once they're on the ground, you know, I think the challenges that we run into with this particular sport is it's actually pretty difficult to access menus to tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say almost never can you actually get menus or, or really necessarily know what's going to be served to the athletes. Yeah. So sometimes those conversations are just saying, okay, let's talk about the athlete's plate. Let's talk about good options. Let's talk about things we probably don't want to be choosing if they're serving. The other thing I will do for them is as much of the schedule as they have, I will go through and actually time out. You know, this is kind of an ideal fueling pattern that you should be mm-hmm. following. If, if this is what time your game is, this is what time we should be pinpointing to get to breakfast. The other thing I'm always looking at is travel. You know, what's the transportation set up for them? How long is it going to take them to get from, let's say, where they're eating to the venue where they're competing or and vice versa? So I think the time piece is something that you have to think about with this group because traveling anywhere can can definitely take a little bit more time just because of that visual impairment. 
So those, you know, that's a lot of the things. And then, you know, like any team, making sure that they're thinking about hydration and electrolytes. So those, those are the big things in terms of travel that we're at right now. When they're on the ground, I do communicate with the team through an app called WhatsApp. That's kind of a favorite communication piece of theirs. It's really easy for them to use. And so there definitely have been games where during the competition, well, not during the game itself, but while, <laughs> while they're traveling, you know, I'm communicating with them or I'm checking in with them or there's a situation where you know, the athletic trainer on the ground is saying, hey, can you can you just talk to this athlete real quick? We're having this issue or that issue. So mm -hmm. thankfully, you know, with modern technology, I can do things like that. But really trying to educate to hopefully avoid those situations mm -hmm. happening is the goal as, yeah. as much as possible. Sure. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, it sounds like there's a good team of, of other support staff around that you've kind of gradually educated over time and so they know what to look out for and, and when to kind of raise issues and what to do. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we have we have some great athletic trainers uh, that do work with the team and the coaches have been really welcoming to the information. So I think it's finding that line as, as I'm sure you know from working with teams, right? You, you find that line between trying to rely on them and, and get them to help you when you can't be there, but not giving them so much mm. that that they're feeling overwhelmed, right? Because they have their own yep. job to do too, right? So it's kind of hitting the high points of these are the things that, that I want you to watch out for. Please contact me if this is happening. And can you just remind them of, of the schedule, right? So that mm. was also one of the ideas behind giving them an actual fueling schedule is because then all the staff has it. So when yeah. they're doing, let's say, an evening team meeting for the next day, they can say, okay, reminder, you know, this, this is our game times. This is what your feelings should look like. So kind of having that information right in front of them mm. so that they can pass that on and remind the athletes as well. Fabulous. So do you have any recommendations for athletes and particularly athletes with a vision impairment in terms of how to sort of seek information and, and support from a sports dietitian? Well, you know, one thing I would I would recommend is that when working with a sports dietitian, just being very open or explaining very well, you know, what are the visual impairments that you're dealing with? How do you best learn? What are the ways that you best take in information? One of the things I'm very open with my athletes about is that I don't necessarily know all of the electronic solutions, you know, out there mm -hmm. for them because I don't use them. And so sometimes I'll actually contact them and say, hey, this is what I need to do. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. How do you guys think would be the best way for me to help you do that? And so I try to be very open with letting them help me. So that's when I learned that they prefer, you know, PDF files versus Word documents, for example, mm -hmm. something I wouldn't have even thought of. Or if I'm suggesting a certain app, I could go online and find an app that looks like it would be useful. But in reality, if I talk to them about it, sometimes they'll say, actually, it's not really as accessible as it's making itself out to be. It actually has these kinks. We, we prefer using this other app or whatever mm -hmm. the case. So I think, you know, when working with a sports dietitian, just not being afraid to share, you know, that that kind of information or, or, you know, sharing how you best receive information, how you best learn, not being afraid if if you don't know, you know, much of anything about this at all. I, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, there are a lot of athletes on this team that 
they just didn't necessarily have family that pushed them to do a lot for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, even, even being on the team and doing just goal ball type things is a challenge and is an extension. And so then when you add all this nutrition stuff and cooking and, you know, finding recipes and working through that, that's very, very new territory and that's okay. That's okay to be there. So I think just being open to that and, and just being comfortable again, communicating where are we at? How are you feeling? Are you getting overwhelmed? What do you know or not know about it is, is just a really good approach to take. Yeah. And hopefully to the sports dietitian will, you know, be asking the right questions and, and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, I've, I don't have a visual impairment. And so it's, it's just hard for me to always think about all those variables. And I try not to assume as much as possible and, and try to stay inquisitive. But, yeah. you know, it just, it, it helps if the athlete is willing to be open as well. Yeah, but also not expecting that they have to know everything all at once. Like it's a exactly. progression, isn't it? Like some of the athletes you've been working with for over five years now and mm-hmm. and probably mm-hmm. you're still exploring some new territory with some of them because it's been a progression over time. Yeah. Well, and, and it's like anyone, right? Like sometimes sometimes you're rehashing the same goal over and over, right? And forever, <laughs> for whatever reason, you know, they just can't get there. And that's fine, you know, so we all have our things. So I agree. Yeah, it's definitely a progression. And, and especially with change of seasons of life, you know, new roadblocks or new obstacles are going to come up or, or new interests are going to surface, you know, maybe before they really didn't care about cooking or finding recipes, but now they're getting older and they're newly married. And now they're actually kind of thinking about that and wondering how to do that. And so I've definitely had that sort of thing happening uh, with the teams as well. Mm, Indeed. And what about any recommendations that you have for sports dietitians who may not have worked with athletes with a vision impairment before or are relatively new to this? So Liz, there are several things that sports dietitians might want to keep in mind who are working with athletes with a vision impairment. So I'll just outline a few things that I've noticed over the years that I've kind of had to learn for myself as well. The first thing is when you're doing things like cooking together, you know, meal prep in the kitchen, it's really a totally different experience because you can't just show them how to do something. You have to really slow down be very descriptive in your explanation and sometimes help them do things like learning how to hold a knife so they can, for example, cut garlic, learning how to navigate a blender or a food processor, sometimes taking their hands and showing them with their hands, you know, the different buttons or the different ways to hold things or different ways to test if things are done or things like that. So it's it's a, a very different experience. The other thing that I frequently have to stop myself from doing is just trying trying to do everything for them, right? So it's easy to want to just jump in there and it, it's okay. I'll measure it or I'll dump it or you know whatever whatever you're working on. So no matter how simple, you just have to take a step back and just verbally explain it and let them have the experience because you know, it's like anything. If you if you just continue to do things for them, they're never going to be able to do it independently. Another another area would be the recovery station. So with USA Goalball, we have an area within the gym that has essentially a recovery station. So there's a refrigerator and then there's a table. And so in the fridge, there's different liquid options. And then on the table, there's different bar options and other fueling options there. 
And so it's one of these things, you know, they're not constantly seeing that table there. And, and so it's easy to become unaware that it's there to forget that it's there to forget to use it. And so, you know, I often have to ask coaches on site to, can you just remind them that it's there? Even things like where we place things on the table or where we place things in the, in the fridge, you know, this is where the full calorie sports drink is going to be versus this is where the zero calorie sports drink is going to be. This is where the different flavors are going to be. So things that you wouldn't necessarily need to think about, um, you do have to think about. Another area would be just, just thinking about eating and consuming food. You know, athletes with a visual impairment, and many of them can't see portions. So telling them to, to kind of look at their plate and, and look at how much they're having, you know, they can't do that. They, don't, they, they can't always see unless they're going to take their hands and feel all over their plate, which I'm sure some would do that, but some don't want to be doing that. And maybe you don't want them to do that anyway. So with some athletes, I have used things like portion plates. Those can really help because it just kind of guides them a little bit more in terms of portions. They can feel the portions and, you know, as they're putting things on the plate, that type of thing. The other thing that helps is asking them to visualize in their mind, like something like the athlete's plate visual from the USOPC, but visualizing that in their mind, describing it for them, that can really help them to understand it a little bit better. But again, you know, things like that, it can be difficult to bring them, bring them to life on their own because um, it's tough, you know, if they can't see their plate in real time. Sometimes the other thing I've run into is support people for my athletes. So this could be parents when they go home to visit. This could be friends. Um, it could honestly even be, you know, staff or something like that. You know, they, they want to be extra helpful by, you know, giving the athletes extra large portions or assuming they want seconds and giving them also very large portions of that. I know I have one athlete in particular that this is a really big challenge, especially around the holidays, because they're not as able to to choose their own portions, right? So a lot of times they do need assistance at meals. They do need somebody kind of guiding them and and explaining, okay, what's what's on the table and what is this dish and and helping them to get some of that food. So teaching VI athletes to tell people what they want and what they need and also politely saying no to what they really don't want, which is really, really hard when you're dealing with family or close friends. It's, it's, those are probably some of the hardest people to say some of these things too. So that's just another piece that I don't, I don't think I would have thought of that prior to working with this group of athletes. So then another thing is just this idea of when we talk to athletes about getting enough fuel, you know, and, and a lot of times we'll say, well, you know, throw bars in your bag or put bars in your locker or put fuel out on the counter on the, in the kitchen, you know, like fruit or something like that. So that when you walk by or when you open the locker or dig in your bag, you know, you can see this food and it'll remind you, right? So they don't necessarily have that ability. You know, they can't, they can't use this seeing helps me remember thing. And so it's important to find other ways to, to help, uh, yeah, I guess you could say trigger them or remind them that they need to be hydrating and that they need to be eating regularly. I guess another, another issue areas is like their water bottle at practice. You know, they're not, they're not seeing it on the sidelines, especially because again, goalball 
even if they have some some level of vision, they're completely masked during practice. So they're not they're not going to be seeing it thinking, oh, I got to go grab some water, you know, when I get a break type of thing. So I really encourage athletes um, to do a few different things. Some of them will do like reminders or alarms on their phone to help them remember to fuel up, to help them remember to hydrate. Even a quick thing that pops up at lunchtime and it could be something that says, you know, how much fluid have you had today or whatever the case. Phones are very accessible now. And there's a lot of things that they're very adept at doing with their phones. And so that can be a really nice option as reminders and alarms and things like that. The other thing is just encouraging that, them that, you know, hey, whenever you are getting a break at practice, you should always be consuming fluids, like always. That is that is the first thing you should be doing. And so just creating that habit for them so that they don't have to remember necessarily anymore, but it's it's hopefully just an automatic thing. It's break time. I grab fluids all the time. Yep. Awesome. Wow. Some so many things that we can learn from you and, and that you've learned. But we're going to let you go because I know it's time for you to get to bed. Yeah. But before you go, <laughs> one last question. What's your favorite food? My favorite food is my mom's homemade cheesecake, which she always makes for my birthday. And <laughs> my birthday is coming up in a couple of weeks. So I'm pretty excited about that. Is there a particular flavor and is it baked or chilled? It is baked. And no, I just love plain cheesecake. I don't like anything <laughs> on it. I don't like any of the sweet flavors. I will eat them. Don't get me wrong. But my favorite is just good old fashioned plain cheesecake. And she makes it with extra cream cheese because that's that's how I like it. <laughs> Lovely. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time and, and also for your knowledge. And, and I think you've learned so much over that time, but you've You've also taught a lot of people some new things as well. So it's been great having you on the podcast. Well, thanks so much, Lizzie. I appreciate you asking me. Kate's provided us with some really useful tips and ideas in working with athletes who have a vision impairment. And the assumptions that we sometimes forget that we make in working with other individuals and I think sometimes the lessons that you learn from working with athletes with a vision impairment or an intellectual impairment can actually carry over into the work that you do with any athletes in terms of making sure you don't make big assumptions. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we'll share it with your social media. Please join us next time when we talk to Joshua Brunet and Jake Kaplan who are para soccer players for Team USA. 